My wife is a wonderful, intelligent, amazing, and admirable woman. She is overfond of saying that I am smarter than she is, but she's quite wrong about that. I have seen her repair a garage door, analyze a piece of literature, and design a lesson on space exploration. Well, not at the same time, but nevertheless. She's multi-talented and multifaceted. I love her, and I'm every day improved by being around her. She does have a particular shortcoming, however, one that she shares with literally millions of people. It is by no means an immoral or ethical one, nor is it a flaw that makes her a bad person. What is that shortcoming? Well, I'm glad you asked. She likes reality TV. The Love at Take 7 show, The Bachelor, as well as its spin-off, The Bachelorette, a dubious word, the suffix at, E-T-T-E, -E, has three meanings, two of which are smaller in size and imitation, while the third is feminine, make of that what you will, have had a combined run of 37 seasons, 37 matches made, 37 times true love triumph over the nigh impossibilities of managing a fried chicken picnic at the gates of Machu Picchu, or streaming video of a snog under the Aurora Borealis. Yes, 37 happy couples matched on television. Ah, amor vincent omnia. The divorce rate in the U.S. is a tricky stat to parse, but according to statistics, almost half of all marriages end in divorce. The other half, I suppose, would end in death. It's interesting to note that the millennial generation has a significantly lower divorce rate than generations that came before it, but let's leave that 50% number where it is for now. Out of the 37 couples who have married on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, then, if they did no better than the national average, we would expect about 18 or 19 of the couples to last. As it turns out, only 8 of the couples are still together. That's a rate of about 21%, a tiny bit better than 1 out of 5. Now, I'm not taking pleasure in these couples' breakups. I don't know them. I have nothing invested in their lives, despite these people being advertised as real people. I can't see them that way. As a matter of fact, I would get more worked up about Fitzwilliam Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet if I could bring myself to read Jane Austen again. Yeah, those two were fictional, but somehow more real. Reality television might be the most misnamed idea in all of entertainment, which is saying something. Let's take some of the ideas of reality television, the ideas that are staring us in the face every day, and break them down. One of my most favorite moments in the dating type shows is when one of the love-starved contestants says to another, I wanted to get you alone, or something similar. Mind you, this aloneness includes being filmed by a camera operator and probably a sound engineer, maybe a grip or two, and that private moment is being watched by millions upon millions of people. No two people have ever been less alone in the history of humanity. Something else that reality television is famous or infamous for involves the practice of frankenbiting. Before I get to what that is, I have a little story and then a question for you, dear listener. Now, in my classroom, I have a magnetic Shakespeare set of words near where I place student messages. There are about 500 words on magnetic strips that can be arranged in whatever order the student pleases. Students who linger in the classroom either before or after the bell sometimes mosey over the words and arrange little verses, usually body ones, with the magnets. Now, my question. 
Is that creative art? Is it writing? You may well say, no, it isn't, because the kid didn't create the words. She simply arranged already written ones. Ah, but isn't that what writing is, arranging words that already exist? You may say, but that's different. Writers have to think of the words, then arrange them. The girl with the magnets was given the words. Well, again, aren't we all given words? We were given words when we were told them or when we read them. Now I hear you say, stop deciding what I'm going to say in this increasingly creepy hypothetical conversation and get back to your main point about The Bachelor. All right, fine. Frankenbiting is the practice in the reality TV industry of taking various bits of conversation said at one point by a contestant and splicing them to other bits said in other conversations to make a wholly new utterance. For example, if at one point a contestant said, I really like New Zealand, and on another day in a separate conversation that same contestant said, I think people are too obsessed with sex. A crafty producer could cut up the two conversations to make a new utterance, I really like sex. Of course, the producer could also create, I think people are too obsessed with New Zealand, but that would only apply if the discussion were about people taking Lord of the Rings tours. Now, that's an extreme example, and frankenbiting is not usually quite so drastic, but the fact remains that it is industry practice. You can usually spot this if... During an utterance by a contestant, the camera cuts away but maintains the soundbite. This is usually a sign that the contestant's mouth would not match up with the sounds they're making. That's one way you can spot potential frankenbiting in practice. Now ask any reality TV producer about this, and if he or she will admit it, he or she will probably tell you that it's not to manipulate. Ha! but to enhance, to build a story that might not have come about naturally. Likewise, the various manipulations, yes, damn it, I said it, done to contestants to produce a story. Producers will prompt contestants, ply them with alcohol, and generally manipulate, okay, now I'm going to say it a lot, manipulate the show to create drama that was either trivial or non-existent. And that's my point. Yes, I do indeed have one. Well, let's do a little thought experiment. You're at home, slouching on your sofa, flicking through the channels. You're in the 200 somewhere. 200 channels? Jesus, tap dancing Christ in the end zone. How many channels do we need? Trying to find something to fend off the Tuesday late afternoon ennui. What gives you pause? What makes you stop channel chasing? Well, naked people, sure. But besides that, you stop when you see a fight doesn't have to be physical, though you'd probably pause there, too. You see someone yelling at someone else, you stop. You see an argument, you pause. Yeah, you might decide not to watch it to its entirety, but you'd at least pause. Why? Conflict. Conflict is what drives stories. You watch your Judge Judy for the conflict, the plaintiff and the defendant, but mostly the salty jurist Judith Scheindlin, born October 24th, 1942 in Brooklyn, New York, to Ethel and Murray Bloom. Uh, Judge Judy and Judge Wapner of the People's Court were actually rivals, sniping at one another in the early 21st century, but I digress. You watch your Maury Povich, born January 17th, 1939 in Washington, D.C., to Ethel and Shirley Povich. Shirley was his father's name. No, I'm not making that up. And yes, you can call him Shirley. To find what the freakout will be when he proclaims, you are the father. And you watch your reality TV when there's some South socialite flipping a card table in Atlantic City. So what's my beef? 
My beef is that we're being lazy with reality TV. It's not actually any different than scripted drama, at least not in what it attempts to do. Be honest, do you really identify with Colby Steedman or Bolt Bucklin or Lance Mannion on those dating shows? No, you don't. No more than you identify with Megan Whitbread Fairchild or Deirdre Piedmont or Chloe Vangina. So you don't watch because you honestly think it's really happening. You don't need me to tell you about Frankenbiting or the manipulations of the trade. You know it's not real. And that's okay. You watch for the conflict. So why not watch a written show? Engaging conflict, sharp dialogue, characters for whom you care deeply. This all happens in fiction. And the best fiction creates drama so much more superior to watching the next great Blackhead Extractor or Sawdust Kings or Lust Isthmus. I'm not simply saying books are inherently superior to television. It's more akin to what Professor Faber said to Guy Montag in Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. Quote, It's not books you need, it's some of the things that once were in books. The same infinite detail and awareness could be projected through the radios and televisors, but are not. End quote. So please, don't reduce my argument to a simple kill-your-television message. There's a certain snobbishness, a certain unearned superiority to those who say with an audible sniff, I don't watch television, I read books. What I'm saying is that reality television is not worthy of you. Not just because it is false, though that would be enough. It is more false than a scripted show because the writer of a fiction is trying to capture the reality of the human experience. But no, that's not why it's unworthy of you. It's unworthy of you because, at its core, it must seek out conflict, but its methods are base and mean. William Faulkner, in his Nobel Prize acceptance speech in 18, 1950, Judge Judy would have been eight years old, said, The only thing worth writing about is the human heart in conflict with itself. I don't think he was referring to The Bachelorette. <laughs>